Good morning, everybody. Warm uh, shout out to all of those at our various sites and uh, wherever you're gathered, just trust that you experience the Lord and I just have to say, hi. And if, you, if you're a guest in the last month, you're thinking, who's that guy up there right now? I'm Pastor Joel. I've been on a study leave. I use a study leave, and I haven't been able to do it the last couple of years, but I, I did it this year and was able to study. That's what I do. I study the scriptures, best part of my job. I prepare for the next ministry season, teaching calendar. Those are the things that I, I do when I'm on my study break. And then I take some time for rest and renewal, which I got plenty of. But can I be honest? I got on the plane last night. Um, we took The last week was a week of vacation, which was just terrific. And got on the plane, made it here, got off the plane. And I was feeling nervous to see you today. <laughs> Kind of, I had this moment where I was reflecting about what I was feeling kind of just rising up within me, and it brought me back to um, my relationship with Carrie. We had gotten engaged. She was a senior in college. I had already graduated. She married an older man. I wanted to marry her sooner versus later, but her parents said that I couldn't marry her until she finished college. Why parents come up with these rules? I have no idea. I waited patiently, and her uh, spring year in May of that senior year, she traveled with a college choir to Europe for a month, just about the amount of time I've been away from you. And I just remember feeling when she was coming home a nervousness about seeing her again. And so I got there early, kind of my tendency, and waited for the bus to arrive. And it arrived, and I did something that probably wasn't appropriate. I jumped onto the bus, and it was like you're on an up escalator, and everybody's going down but you, because they're wanting to get off, but I can't wait to see Carrie. And I have this nervous energy. Does she still love me? Are we still getting married in eight weeks? <laughs> you know, all those kinds of things. And we greeted each other. It was just really a beautiful thing. And I thought about that with you, that I just love the church. And I love you. And I love what we get to be and do together. It's an amazing gift, amazing privilege. It's good nervousness. So, hi, and thanks for welcoming me home again. It's great to be back with you again. We're in a series called Up, the Psalms of Ascent. And today looking at Psalm 129, which I have entitled um, Choosing Stick-to-itiveness. It's an old-fashioned word. I remember it from my youth. Not everybody's going to probably remember it, but it fits well the psalm that we're in. Let me ask this question. Do you know anyone um, in your life with what you would call short-lived enthusiasms? You know, where you have this enthusiastic desire to start something new and then the enthusiasm wanes. You start a coin collection or you make a commitment with a lot of energy to, um, to start exercising and then the desire just leaves you along the way. And you need this thing called stick-to-itiveness. I've even heard this phrase as a reprimand that you lack stick-to-itiveness. You start things and don't finish them. I'm not looking for you to do this to anybody that's around you, but all of us have had that reality in our lives. For some people, it is a pattern. But stick-to-itiveness is really an important character quality. It's an important life quality. Stick-to-itiveness is that capacity to be able to get through things, to prevail, to um, persevere. And the psalmist today is really giving energy to stick-to-itiveness in light of pain and hardship and difficulty. 
In fact, um, we have, and I've joined in every week, wherever I've been, I've been worshiping with you online. It's been so terrific to do that. I love our worship um, online for many who are doing that even now. But I, I, I have also appreciated the fact in this series, we're bringing back a practice that was common throughout the generations and centuries for the church, and that is to stand and read. I'm gonna invite you to do that. We'll join together to read today's psalm. It's Psalm 129, and it's a bit of a battle kind of psalm. You'll see this in a moment, but there's some great takeaways for us in it. So would you join me? Let's read Psalm 129. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth but they have not gained the victory over me. Plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be turned back in shame. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it, nor one who gathers fill his arms." May those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. Woo, that's a hard rocking psalm. Can't wait to be in it with you. I'm gonna invite you to be seated at all of our sites as well, even at home if you're standing. You know, pain is not something that's easy to talk about. It's so very private and personal in so many ways. Uh, and when we're in the midst of pain, we're always dealing with how am I going to overcome it and not be overcome by it. And the psalmist is teaching us to cultivate stick that we would persevere, not just survive, but prevail. And he's giving testimony and energy to it. In fact, I'm grateful that he does it the way he does it because he's doing, he's breaking it down really into two simple sections, the words that we read. And that is praying through the pain, which is the latter part of the psalm, and then persevering through the pain. And persevering through the pain is not an easy thing to do, but the first, vor- first vor- verses, say that 10 times, um, it speaks to how we persevere through pain. And I'm grateful for what he says. The insights are so good. And I want to just, for the integrity of the text, the source of pain for our psalmist is that um, there are people who are against God and God's ways and God's people, so they are being persecuted. They are um, they're, they're people who are oppressing them in the midst of their life. So that's the, the backdrop. It's been a long persecution. But I... I want to call out the fact that there are transferable principles related to whatever source of pain you might go through, whether it be persecution, it could be an illness that creates great pain for you, it could be emotional distress that you're having or relational issues, but you could go on. There's all kinds of sources for pain, and the first couple of points are really transferable. doesn't matter the source of pain. Some of you today are in that place. I found myself while I was writing this message just stopping and praying for a friend, a person that I know who is going through pain, and so many people come to my mind. There's so much pain. And I pray that you'll find encouragement in what the psalmist says to us. Because whatever the source of pain, the psalmist says a couple things that I think are so practical and so useful for us. First of all, he's saying you can suffer pain without suffering defeat. There is this 
faith that is so strong that you see in the people of God exercising their faith. In fact, you'll see here the psalmist is making a reference to how long their pain has been part of their life. Since I was a young kid, you've been kicking me around to the ground, but you can't keep me down is the idea you have in verses one and two. They have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Did you get the repetition there? There's an emphasis that we want to see, but they have not gained the victory over me. There is a validation in reputation. So they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. He's not just saying it casually. He's saying to the people of God who are with him, let Israel say they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. We've been oppressed for a long time. It's been a full court press that we've had to endure and deal with. It's a press that includes ridicule, taunting, tormenting, torture, exile. You can go on and on. But the people of God were experiencing this for a long haul. That's the picture you have, but my faith was robust. They have, go back to that text, please, for just a moment, but they have not gained the victory over me. Let's just sit with this text on the screen for a little bit. They have not gained victory over me because we need to pause on this and sit on it. I hope that you do not think the Christian faith is a fair-weathered life that the sun needs to be always shining, that the weather conditions ought be just so because I have faith in God. Because I think there are some believers of God who actually embrace this perspective that life should be fair weather, that all should go well with me in my journey, that it should be a sunshining kind of faith in my life, that my life should be good, that my job should be prosperous, that my um, health should be terrific all the time, that my um, relationships would be bliss and my children would be compliant. (laughs) Anybody have a two-year-old in the room? We have a two-year-old granddaughter. We're learning about compliance, or no, we're learning about non-compliance is what we're learning about. (laughs) It's all part of it, but I think we have some of these expectations. Can, Can we just eject that for a moment? Because we have something that's happening here that's really noteworthy. The psalmist is reminding us about something that's important. You've heard about tough love. This psalm is about tough faith. It's about the faith that leans into the heart of life in powerful ways, that helps us to navigate those bombed out shelters in our life so that we have faith and God is looking for those who trust him when your life isn't great and your job isn't prosperous and you may be hardly making the the bills get paid for at the end of the month, where your health is more turbulent than it is stable, that your relationships are far from bliss, that your children um, are not compliant. And may I say this is a little graphic, but there's some graphic natures in this psalm that your life is puke. Can I say that a lot? Have you ever had a pukey chapter in your life where you're just like, oh, my life just is like puke right now? Raise your hand if you've ever had that moment. You've had a pukey life, I wanna see that. Okay, good, then I think it was an appropriate word to say. (laughs) Which most of you, I hope all of you at home, resonated with that too. It's hard, life can be. It is um, a call for faith that's like a tough perennial. Can't be trampled by feet that seek to stomp us out. That's what pain seeks to do. Take out the joy of our beauty in life. Or reckless chatter that seems to 
dehumanize who we are, make us feel small in the journey. Pain has that kind of effect. It makes us feel small. I was uh, struck by this a few weeks ago. I don't think I've ever done this in 27 years at Westwood, but I'm about to get dressed in your presence. Excuse me. <laughs> I'll do this first time, right? I'm going to put on this and illustrate something. This is Westwood swag, I guess you could call and I love it. It, it. I love the feel of it. It's good. So I've worn it a lot this summer. A few weeks ago, I was over at a local restaurant. I don't want to say which one it was. And I, I was just picking up food. It was all ready to go. I walk in to the, um, to the establishment, and I'm about to pay for the food. And the gentleman on the other side of the till looks at me, and you can tell he's thinking. He goes, are you Pastor Joel? And I go, I am. I said, do you come to Westwood? He goes, no, but my parents do. And I've tuned in every once in a while. I go, great. I'd love to have you anytime you'd like to come. And I'm not sure if it was the Westwood garb or the fact that I was a pastor, but he opened up his world to me at the till. I'm an addict. I've been through treatment three times. I'm in my fourth time. My house is in foreclosure. The relationships in my life are very difficult because people don't trust me anymore. But I have a lot of hope. I feel like I'm on the right path. This is at a till. And I go, does this happen to you? I think there's a moral to this story. Wear Westwood garb wherever you go. It opens the door of opportunity for people to converse if you're willing to step into it. And I was willing to step into it. And I just listened to him. And I could feel his pain and his longing for hope. And I said to him, do you have God in your life? And he said, no, I think God is responsible for the situation that I'm in. I go, ooh. And I said, may I invite you, and I said it so gently, to reconsider that. Because you're in your fourth round. The other three have not been successful. But I promise you, you invite God to be part of your journey. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and the experience in your recovery program the fourth time around will be different than the first three. That's the gospel of hope. It is a tough faith that allows us to deal with the pain that we're in. And to my delight, he received those words from me at a till in a local restaurant. Friends, you can do this. Just seize the opportunity. God is at work. People want to know that there's help and there's healing. And we're told here that indeed there is. So the application really is quite simply. You can suffer pain without suffering defeat. You really can. And I know some of you are in pain, some in chronic pain, and it's a daily grind for you to deal with. But this psalm and the psalmist is reminding us that with God in our lives, we, we are not defeated, that there's a victory for us even in the midst of the greatest pain. So I encourage you to trust Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, and let him lead you through and into the pain, whatever it might be, to see what he would want to teach you about himself, about you, how we might want to bless you even in the midst of it altogether. I want to come back to the, the text. It says, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. Let Israel say, repeats it again, they have greatly oppressed me from my youth. So this is the validation of the pain, but they have not gained the victory over me. So I've just changed the words and say, 
Let Westwood say, you can suffer pain without suffering defeat. So say it with me. You can suffer pain without suffering defeat. I think that's a great takeaway, no matter the pain that you have in your life. But we don't stop there. There's also a second thing that we learn, and that is that God sets a limit for your suffering. And right now you gotta go, oh, thank God for that. But I also meet with people, honestly, myself, I just go, wow, that person has experienced so much suffering in their lives. I go, God, when is enough enough? And anyone who's in pain would say, right now, enough is enough, right? But God sets a limit on your suffering. That's what the psalmist is reminding. And he uses this visual image, and it's really graphic. So the imagery today from the psalmist is quite graphic. He says, plowmen have plowed my back and made their furrows long, but the Lord is righteous. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. The wicked is a term that you could call the adversary, don't make it wicked as in Hollywood, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and witches and all that kind of evil demons. Clearly, I, I believe in um, the, the oppression of darkness that's there. But this word wicked is broader than that. It speaks to people who are adversaries to God and the ways of God and to the people of God and their ways that are aligned with God. That's what he's speaking to in this given place. And it's a Profound reminder for us in this journey when we think about it because he's telling us um, that the harm and the, the purpose of harm being done to us is, is great. He uses this imagery that it's hard to visualize it, but he's using a farming agricultural picture of a plow with sharp, um, with sharp blades and puts himself as being the field. So like I'm laying on the field and the plow and the blades are running across my back from top to bottom because people are so merciless. It's like the farmer going down the row and then coming back again, and so they just keep coming with their oppression against the people of God, the ways of God, etc. It's just a graphic image of pain. It's real pain. It's validated pain. He's trying to bring that point across, but so much more we understand that there's a reality. He breaks three. He has cut me free from the cords of the wicked. So suddenly has this realization. They're trying to bring all this harm to me, but the point that he's making is they cannot finish their purpose because God has cut the cord that was connected to the plow, the, the oxen and the blade, and even if they keep trying to plow and bring harm against me, pain can't do that because I am cut free in a victory that I have in Jesus Christ. No one can separate me from the hand, the right hand of Jesus Christ, that in God's presence I am kept safe, even in the midst of so much pain. It seems ironic, but that's the promise that he's giving to us, that pain has limits. So we hear that rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It validates that we can get hurt by things, but you, you can't come to my inner being. Or Jesus himself affirms the very same principle when he says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but not kill the soul. That I am held in a place that no one can bring hard. Yeah, you can go up and down my back. In my world, I'm 6'4". People stand next to me, they go, I don't know you're a 6'4", but my length is not in my legs, it's in my back. I've got a long back for furrows to be made <laughs> from this analogy. And it's painful is what he's saying, but the, the purpose can't be completed. In fact, uh, one of my very first verses that I memorized when I came to Christ, which I was introduced, by the way, to scripture memory when I first put my faith in Jesus Christ, one of the greatest gifts that God gave to me. This is why I encourage you so much. I, I, I encourage you over the summer, memorize a psalm. 
and teach it to your children if you have children. They will remember it in their adult years that you taught them that psalm, and God will use it to give life to them in their journey. So this summer, I memorized Psalm 121, and then now I'm memorizing Psalm 138. I'm not gonna be teaching on it, but I'm memorizing it because this last year has been a psalm that's been life-giving for me. I encourage you to memorize God's word. It brings life. One of the first verses that I memorized affirms the very principle of this psalm. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And it says, no temptation has come to me that is uncommon to anybody else. (laughs) That is, I'm gonna be tempted with the same kind of test that everybody else will be, even though I am a person of faith. Don't think you're gonna be tested differently. We're gonna be tested. We're gonna experience the same things that everybody experiences. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tested beyond what you are are able to, to handle. He will provide a way of escape so that you will endure. So you can have stick to through whatever it is that is thrown at you in life. That's the promise of that. I love that. Am I facing a test? What am I supposed to learn? And we, we learn that there is a way of escape. So then the question is, what is the way of escape? I find myself, when I'm in a lot of pain, I just want it to be done. Anybody else feel the same way? Could this just be enough? But when is the escape there? What is that escape route? I think there are several things. One, he could bring a healing into your life. He could allow that pain to be completely removed. He can and does allow you sometimes just to suffer through the pain because he's teaching you about himself and yourself so that you can mature and be and love more like Jesus Christ. Or when enough is enough, he can take you into glory. Moses reminds us, teach us to number our days that we may gain the heart of wisdom. That our days are numbered. And that day might be the day when you've just had enough of pain because you've endured as much as you can endure so you're taken up into glory. And so these are some of the things that God does, but they're real. I find encouragement um, in the suffering of people and people who have faith and show me a way of of stick-to-itiveness that just speaks to my heart. And sometimes those are my friends and people that I know here. And now sometimes they're People that I read about, I love reading biographies. One of my favorite books, and I recommend it to you, if you've not read it, is A Man's Search for Meeting by Viktor Frankl, the psychiatrist who was working in Vienna um, in 1942, was arrested by the Nazis, put in a concentration camp. His mom was killed, his wife was killed, his brother was killed. And he comes in and he decides, this is my assignment from God in this concentration camp. Wow, what a perspective, my assignment. And he was saying, I know who I become as a person depends on how I respond on the inside to that which is happening to me on the outside. And he has a phrase that has been helpful to me, and I share it with you. He says, exercise your inner hold, your inner hold. Have an upward faith that looks to God in all things. Visualize, even in the midst of pain, loved ones, and pour your love into them, even while you're enduring pain. And in his context, when the Nazis came against him and they threw insults at him and other um, prisoners that were there, which he brought encouragement to so many along the way, he said, respond, react to them with the dignity of their humanity, even if they don't deserve it, because you're shoring up the very beams and the pillars of your inner structure. It's called the inner hold. That inspires me. That leads to stick to in faith, a tough faith that goes along with a gracious love as well. 
But I'm especially inspired by Jesus, especially with this imagery that we've seen. The furrows on the back is just a picture of exactly what the Roman soldiers did to Jesus when they whipped him and they scourged him and his back is ripped wide open. And it was all foretold in Isaiah 50. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. There's this inner hole that you find. And then in Isaiah 53, he continues, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This is the tough faith. This is Jesus Christ knowing that God has a purpose for his suffering, and when it's finished, it'll be finished, but in the meantime, it brings, it's a redemptive purpose. It was for Jesus, it is for us. Our pain gets used for redemptive gain to strengthen us and even to be a blessing to others. I mean, how many of you have been blessed by somebody going through great pain and somehow they look at you, see you, bless you, with the, they are other-centered in the midst of their pain? This is the, the grounds of the faith of Jesus Christ that is in us. I just know that Jesus Christ sticks with me no matter what. Do to me what you want, but I know Jesus is with me. He sticks to me. That's what the psalmist is saying. Therefore, because he sticks with me, I can have stick-to-itiveness to stick through whatever comes to me in my life and my journey. I love these psalms that give us practical perspectives of life and journey. So remember, you can suffer pain without suffering defeat, and then God has a set a limit for your suffering. So I think we should say, thank you, God, for setting the limit. <laughs> Just say, thank you, God. That doesn't feel right. And all of our sites say, thank you, God. Again, thank you, God, that you set a limit. And there's a purpose behind it. And when that day comes, we'll have greater clarity then because we don't always understand why now. In fact, I have to ask myself often, why is pain so big for so many? Do you ever feel like it? Why is it so big? And I just, I tell you with all humility, I don't know. I don't know. I get as confused as anybody else related to some, but two things I do know. I know this. I know that God accomplishes his redemptive purposes in it. So I'm gonna make myself available in the midst of it because he's gonna do some kind of thing that I'm not in control of, I can't even see it, he's just gonna somehow use it. I believe there's a redemptive purpose behind our suffering and pain. But also, I believe there's a second thing that we can take hold of in that is that Jesus sticks with me, as I've already said. I'm so glad that he sticks with me. So that's the call that we have in the first part of it. The second part of the psalm gets quite interesting because it's so negative. It's particularly against those wicked, those adversaries, those who come against God and the people of God, and their prayers... Um, this is called Psalm 129, an imprecatory prayer. In our study of the Psalms, it's the first imprecatory prayer that we've actually looked at. An imprecatory prayer means to imprecate or to invoke a curse um, or God's anger, God's judgment on those who are creating pain in the world and in our lives. And it's an important thing. Some Christians just struggle with the imprecatory psalms and the imprecatory prayers because should we pray this way when Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you, how can we pray a curse? But you have to understand an imprecatory psalm is simply a release of what we feel because 
We're not apathetic in our places of pain. It riles us up. We need a place to put it. We put it at the foot of the cross. We put it in the presence of God himself, and we ask him to do what he alone can do, and that is to bring justice and fairness. We ask for his anger to be spread to those who are against us in a way that's right in his perspective, which then frees us up to persevere, to have stick to strengthening our inner hold and our faith, but also affirms that he is God. So I don't have the right to take the anger to bring about the vengeance, to get even with people. So we're not negating what Jesus teaches in an imprecatory prayer. We're affirming that God is bigger than us and we need him to come into us. So he has three imprecatory prayers here. And I thought, just briefly, I'm gonna touch on each one of them. The first one is to pray for persecutors to be turned back in shame. And that word shame means to be turned back, that they would fail in their attempts to bring greater pain and hurt to the name of God or to our lives personally. And that they would have shame, which is an awareness. Think about when you have shame in your life. All of a sudden you have an awareness of doing something, of saying something that isn't right or good. And what's the standard that makes it right or good? God himself. And therefore I become aware of God. So the shame, might they, might they experience shame becoming aware that this is God who I'm coming against and that they would be broken and turn back from that given way is the call. Now it's easy for us to detach ourselves from those who come against us on the outside, but this is a very personal one for us as well. It is to say, how do we live our lives? Are we living our lives in a way that is God's ways? Because sometimes shame, so I see shame can be used negatively. Here it's used positively as something that increases our awareness, which changes our sense of responsibility so we move in a new direction. So shame could come because of a circumstance. It could come from a person. Um, it could be, come from reading the scripture and the Holy Spirit just convicts you and there's a shame that increases your awareness. Oh God, I have sinned against you and I need to correct it. And it can be done in simple ways. I, this is a story I've told several times at Westwood in our history, probably because it was such a formative time in my own faith journey and understand what does it mean to be a Christian and to walk as a Christ follower in my life. Carrie and I were dating and she invited me to join her at a gathering of friends of hers and I knew some of them as well. There was a pastor that was there for this lunch gathering, about 10 people. I'd never had lunch with a pastor. It was a very intimidating experience. I hope you don't feel that if I ever have lunch with you, <laughs> that it's all good. But it was my first encounter with a pastor and it felt intimidating to me and we're around the table and I'm sure I was just trying to get comfortable with people I hardly knew and in the midst of the conversation the laughter and the fellowship for whatever reason I speak and I swear I take the name of the Lord in vain with a lot of Christians and a pastor around the table and it got silent and there was a moment I just felt like in my head I was sliding under the table can't believe that came out of my mouth, and why would Carrie even want to sit with me? Is she even sitting with me anymore? And so we get in the car, and she says, like, what were you thinking? And she didn't mean it as a shame arrow, but I received it, I think, from the Lord as a shame arrow. So how did I respond? Defensively. When you feel shame, you get defensive about it. And she was driving. She dropped me off at my apartment, and I went in my apartment. I'm stewing because there's a battle of my will, my way versus God's way. I go, what's the big deal, you know? See, I grew up in a home where language was profusely um, coarse, let me put it that way. It was just part of what I grew up with. And it just came out of my mouth. But this, now I'm a new creature in Christ. 
And all of a sudden, there's a conviction. And this is the, the God prompting I felt, is that I was to go to every person and apologize, which I did. To go, I went to each person. I said, I'm so sorry for what came out of my mouth. I fear I offended you greatly. And each one of them, each one said, Joel, we forgive you. Keep growing in faith. Ah, it just set me free. Friends, can I tell you, I do not have a problem with my tongue today because of that moment. There's a change that happens with shame. I should be really honest with you. I'm still tested with my tongue and tempted with my tongue, especially in bad traffic, but I manage it all the time, (laughs) mindful of the Lord and what he's given me and that it matters. So I find encouragement in these words and this reality that God uses shame. Just briefly on the other two, and that is... um, May all of you um, who hate Zion be turned back into shame. I've already mentioned that. I'm gonna go back to the second point that we have here already. And the second point is to pray for the wicked to be stopped in their tracks. That they just cannot continue. That the pain and the inflicting upon our lives would just come to a halt and it would stop along the way. And in fact, look at the verse and what it says here um, in verse six. May they be like grass on the roof which withers before it can grow. A reaper cannot fill his hands with it nor one who gathers fill his arms. Arms, hands, arms, using a metaphor, another picture here, a graphic picture um, that gives us this idea of what's happening. Let me bring you back to the cultural context of this verse because they had homes that were um, flat roofed homes. And so dirt, sand would get on top of it, seed would be blown by the wind, would start to take root and sprout out just in little kinds of ways, enough that you could put your hand on it and Yet it was in contrast to the harvest field where you would have your arms with the reaping of so much bounty of God's goodness. May they not have success to the end that pain just piles upon itself over and over again that it would stay small, that it would be stopped. Oh God, you pray, stop the pain in my life if it be your will. Stop the movement of those who bring pain in my life that it only has small effect that the hand gathers around versus that big effect in our lives. That's the picture you have in this. Pray that God would stop the adversaries right in their tracks. Pray for that pain to stop, to wither, and keep inflictions from growing more. The third is really... um, It's interesting, when pray for discernment that recognizes right from wrong, he's saying, be careful that we don't support evil in the world that may appear as being good or presented as good to us. This is, in the last two years, the reason why the Church of Jesus Christ has experienced so much division is we wrestle with discerning what is right and wrong, what is evil and what is good. It's, it's not so black and white. And so we have opposing parties with even, not just our country, but within the church of Jesus Christ. And he has this final word for us in the psalm. Um, it says, may those who pass by not say to them, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. So we're called to be a people of blessing. That's what the Abrahamic covenant says, that we are to bless others and to bless the socks off of them because we receive blessing from God. We're not to curse them. God will take care of that side of it. But here it says, the blessing of the Lord be on you. We aren't to pray that to them. So we're going to God and we're saying, Lord, pay attention to what's happening here and all of this disagreement that we're dealing with. We need discernment. May those who pass by not say to them, oh, bless you. Let's not be put in place. In other words, for Christians, we are to pay attention to what is truly good, what is evil, and where do we stand in that? One of those arenas, and there's a dozen of them in our country right now, clearly is the racial tension that we're experiencing 
all in our country. And we debate on what is the right way to deal with it. What is, I, I'm not making judgment on anybody else. I'm just saying where we are as a church, I'm proclaiming it again to you. That we are seeking to proximate with people and churches, black leaders and black churches, and we're working together to solidify our oneness in Jesus Christ because even though we're reconciled in Jesus Christ, we are not living out that reconciliation very well. So we need to come together. We want to seize the opportunities to do good and honor the Lord's name. We want to strengthen the witness of Jesus Christ. So I just want to give a shout out. This is not part of my message, but last night after we got home, I saw the WCCL report on the North Minneapolis event called Harvest a New North. It was an event to change the narrative in Minneapolis away from violence because everybody keeps promoting the violence and thinking that it's all that way when 98% of what's happening in North Minneapolis has a ton of good and we're trying to change the narrative. So we, along with other churches, are joining together and um, with black leaders in the Twin Cities and we joined together for this event. Some of you were at it, I say thank you. It showed up on the WCCO report last night and I thought it was so great to see you represented even in that visible place. We're changing the narrative, we're discerning between right and wrong and think what is right if there's healing over the evil in this world, it's gonna happen through the presence of Jesus Christ in his church. The church has ordained by God to be his purposes, to, to, to accomplish his holy purposes in the world today. The church is that hope in Christ Jesus. Would you agree with that? So thank you for all of you who are willing to step into that, be part of it. Final thought, and then I need to be done. Simply this, perseverance is not a result of our determination, it is the result of God's faithfulness. So don't bring your own will to it. You will fall short again and again. But God's faithfulness, his stick to with you will help you have stick to through the pain and reality of the world in which we live. I have a friend, colleague member here on our staff who has a great saying. He says, when life gives you more than you can stand, kneel. I love that. So I'm wrapping up my message with that invitation for you not to kneel because I had knee surgery, can't do it. But I can invite you to stand and join me that way for this prayer. Would you? Say this word before we pray. Earlier in my study leave, I opened up some of my past journals for various reasons. And I came across a journal entry from March 8th, 2002. Keep yourself in love with God. Keep yourself in love with God. It comes from Jude, the book of Jude. I wanna pray that for you. Pray with me. Lord, there's plenty of pain in every home, in every row of seats in our gatherings, even this morning. May we persevere by keeping ourselves in you, in your love, I confess, Lord, on behalf of our church family in your presence, that our pain can keep us from you, that our needs can keep us far from you, that our attraction to outward joys and beauties can keep us far from you, that our pull toward lovely things can keep us far from you. So, Lord, I ask, show us the beauty of your face and your healing touch for the pain that we have in our lives. We're grateful for your love and how you stick with us so that we may stick with you in the face of pain and hard times and difficult people. Heal us, grow us with stick-to-itive faith that flourishes.
today and always to your honor and glory. Amen and amen.